0: That covers it. This week, we're wrapping up The Man of Steel. And next week, we launch into a new series called Greater. It's based on a book by a pastor called Stephen Furtick. And it is a fantastic book. If you do not have a book to read for the summer, it's a small, easy-to-read book. I think I got through it in about a week and a half. That's reading a, a chapter a day, 10 to 15 minutes a day. So if you want a great book, Greater is what we're going to be launching into next week. And it explores the life of Elisha. And uh, it's fantastic. So I want to recommend that to you. And you can read along as we do with the, the uh, sermon series. So... Okay, we're caught up. Whew. Way too much information. You should have a bulletin somewhere instead of making me say all that. <laughs> all right, so just to review where we've been with the Man of Steel, the very first week we talked about living a life out of response to the love of the Father. And that first week we talked also about the power of your backstory and the backstory of Superman Clark Kent and, uh, and how he became that, or, or where, how he got to the point where he was Superman. Second week, we explored how being connected to whose you are, your father, your real father, unlocks your identity, your potential, and your purpose. And so we explored that last week, and this week I want to talk about the necessity of an enemy. I don't think that this is going to be a popular sermon today, because nobody here likes the idea of an enemy. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight before. Um, I have not. I have never actually. Well, it's not true. I, I was in a fight, but I wasn't actually in the fight, and I'll explain. Uh, there was, it was sixth grade, and this kid challenged me to a fight. I don't even remember why he wanted to fight me. I was a really quiet kid, um, but he said after school 3:20, you in the bathroom before you get on your bus. I'm gonna beat you up. Okay, I'll be there. And you know, I mean, you're a boy. You don't want to back out. And you know, I was not real popular, and I didn't want to be less popular. So I decided to show up. And uh, this kid was much smaller than me. He's probably, well, we were all much smaller then, but he was much smaller than me. And uh, showed up in the bathroom and he was there. We had a couple witnesses just to make sure that we understood who got beat up and when, which would have been me. And this kid's doing this thing, because he's smaller than me. He's going, making these kind of sounds, like bouncing at me, you know? and. Uh, I won't tell you that a single blow was exchanged because I just kept backing up from him. And this was at World Harvest Christian Academy too, by the way. <laughs> just throw that out there. It was fun. So <clears throat> you mean Christians get in fights? Yes. Yeah, it happens. So um, the next thing I know, the lights go out. And I don't know, when you were in school, have you ever played a game called Lights Out? Anybody know this game? Lights Out in the bathroom with boys means something probably completely different with girls. With girls, that means screen time. Boys, that means... I'm swinging, and if you're in my way, you're getting hit. And that was the game. Turn out the lights, find somebody, and just wail on them, and then run. And uh, in the middle of this fight that was about to happen, somebody flicked off the lights. And I did the only smart thing that I knew to do, which was to hide under a urinal. (laughs) Nobody's looking for you there. And everybody else, all these boys came rushing into the bathroom because they had this plan to fight. And so they all started swinging well the dude who challenged me wound up getting thrown through not into thrown through a drywall apparently you're supposed to have drywall like the the uh, the boards like every 16 inches is that right it's anybody 16 cons- 16, what it, 16? 16 yeah so i said 16 inches right yep. so the space so it's supposed to be board 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 you know 16 in space. there was no board <laughs> <laughs> And this huge section and they found it they found the only area that was open and they threw him through the drywall now he got suspended and I did not, because I was hiding under a urinal, so. Um, but after that incident happened, he still wanted to fight me, and you know what I, the benefit of that was, it was like, hey man, you remember what happened last time? You don't want that to happen again, do you? Because it was lights out. I don't know that he knew who threw him through the drywall. So uh, to my recollection, I think I know who it was, and he will not be named. Neither of these individuals will be named, but it wasn't me that threw him through the drywall. I was just hanging out. but. What well, started out as something frightening to me turned into a blessing, because didn't nobody want to fight me after that. I don't know why the kid wanted to fight me anyway. It's neither here nor there. So it turned into a blessing because nobody ever wanted to fight me, and that's how enemies are. When we're faced with them, all we see is like this big question mark, right? But They're right smack dab in front of us. We have no idea why they want to fight us. We have no idea why they're after us. We have no idea how to beat them. When I was a kid, I played a lot of video games. Anybody, a gamer in here? Anybody want to admit that? Okay, so there's a few people that are gamers. And I was a I, I was a gamer, and uh, we, I played a game that I'll, I'll just throw this out here. Contra. Anybody know the game? Oh, oh, okay. Right across the room. We're talking gray box Nintendo, and uh, y'all know I'm a geek, so I'm not hiding. It's fine. I'm just going to tell you. And uh, this game, Contra. Uh, anybody know the code? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. B A start. Yes. You are my people. I love you. I love you. And so. There's this game, Contra, and it's a side scroller. Side scroller, if you're not a gamer, means that the game is played this way, right? And you run across the screen this way the whole time shooting, and basically the screen moves you behind you, and your character stays central, okay? So it's this, this, that's the format of the game. But when you got to the end of every single level, there was a boss, there was a new enemy, and this new enemy would be somebody that you'd never fought before, you wouldn't know how to fight him, you would oftentimes require a new weapon or a secret code or power-up of some sort. And here is the biggest thing. This side-scrolling game where you were fighting like this the whole time, oftentimes they shifted and you'd play this way. And so you're looking at the back of your character now and not the front. Well, you're disoriented completely because now your gaming or the way you played the game has completely shifted. Everything changed. You guys are all making the connections. I don't even have to preach anymore, right? You got it? So this, this new enemy introduced a complete shift for you, and so you had to learn how to play within that environment now. And so, you play, I play for hours and uh, eventually beat that boss, but once you beat that boss, it was like, it was nothing. In fact, once you beat him, you'd be able to help your little brother or little sister or anybody else uh, win that battle as well. In fact, today with the advent of the internet, playing games has gotten so much easier because you can get walkthroughs or if you don't know how to fight something or figure out a, a, something on a game or beat a boss. You can just go, how do you beat this boss on 13th level and four or five? And they go, somebody has been there and done it already. And you can find that information just like that. So it, it's wonderful. So the challenge of a boss is not really difficult anymore, but anyway, <clears throat> I digress. But enemies take all kinds of shapes and forms, right? There are haters, bullies, current or past relationships, mother-in-laws, sir, not mine, mine's wonderful by the way, just in case you're listening out there, uh, circumstances. <laughs> Addictions, thoughts, your past, or even an outright spiritual attack or temptation is how an enemy can take shape in your life. And there's lots of different ways. I'm sure I didn't name them. I just tossed out a few. And when we look at Superman, his enemy appeared in the form of General Zod. Now, General Zod, if you haven't seen the movie yet, shame on you. Get out and see The Man of Steel. It's fantastic. Uh, he shows up in the form of a general who is power-crazed and is looking to restore Krypton uh at the, at the cost of genocide of the entire population of the planet Earth. And that's like a serious problem, okay for, for all of us humans. Uh, if we were faced with that kind of enemy, how do you fight that enemy? What do you have to do? And for Superman, uh, that was a problem. Now here's the thing, until General Zod appears, Superman's not Superman. When you see the movie, he has his outfit, but he's not flying around saving people. He's still being very reclusive, he's hiding, and he doesn't want people to know who he is. He still hasn't appeared to anybody yet. He hasn't made official contact with anybody except Lois Lane. She's the only one who knows who he is. But as soon as the enemy appears, he had to step into what he learned from his father, his potential, and he had to step into his purpose, which was to save the world. Because his dad said, you've got all this power and all this strength, you'll be a god to them, and you'll be able to save them. And so Superman becomes Superman, Or kal becomes Superman, or however you want to say that, Clark Kent. Because of the presence of the enemy. And what Zod did for Superman, it's the same thing that the Flood did for Noah, the same thing that Goliath did for David, and the same thing that Judas did for Jesus. He gave him the adversity needed to become super, to tap into his potential and become all that he could, testing his very own limits to defeat the enemy. And... Uh, you know, I think the idea of this, again, just makes us uncomfortable because we don't want to believe that we have an enemy. And it's not just ourselves. We actually have an enemy, and that's the devil. And he is looking to pluck you out of God's hand as fast as possible to ruin your future because he's not afraid of who you are today. He's afraid of your potential to be great, and he will stop at nothing to destroy you. I think one of the greatest lies that we as a people believe is that he doesn't exist. That's the greatest lie he's ever told us. He doesn't exist. So for me, uh, let's think of it this way. The necessity of an enemy is kind of like going to the gym. Now this is not something I'm obviously very familiar with, but I've been told, okay? So I'll just talk about it from a relational standpoint Rocco, Rocco goes to the gym a lot, and uh, it, it shows, if you wanna feel his muscles afterwards, he will flex for you and show you that, that, that he will agree with what I'm getting ready to say, okay? Because my testimony is obviously not worth much. But to build strength, we gotta to go to the gym. And when we hit the gym, we use weights. Now, it isn't necessarily being in the building that makes you strong. It's when you, or, or hanging out around the weights, it's when you pick up the weights and you start doing this kind of stuff. When you're moving the weights like this, this creates what they call resistance. Pressing through that resistance is what tears and stretches your muscles. That tearing process is necessary for the building of muscles. Because what happens is as you're torn, And as you're stretched, once again, this is a great analogy. I don't even need to preach anymore. We can go home, right? I love this. We can, I bet you do. You can, it tears. And then over time, those muscles get built back up again. How many times a week do you do arms, Rocco? Once a week, right? Twice. Maybe twice a week. Twice a week Rocco does arms and his arms are huge. But he, is this true what I'm saying? It is. It is the resistance that tears those muscles and then makes us stronger, right? And, it, and it's that rebuilding process. So it's literally resistance that makes it stronger. So for Superman, Zod was that resistance. It was resistance to peace and life on Earth. And I'm certain all of us would agree that being stronger is good. That means uh, we can be stronger physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, toilet paper I don't even know that that's a word, but you understand what I'm saying. We all agree that stronger is better. Yes. Yes. Okay. And yet we find in times of resistance or trials or in the presence of of an enemy that we begin to squirm we tend to complain Uh, in essence we start resisting the resistance and uh, and for me or or rather the application of that resistance and we may even start to question God why this or why that we begin to wonder if he loves us at all and we start to ask why did he put us here just to suffer this way or why didn't my great aunt why did she have to die from cancer why couldn't she have been healed we start asking all kinds of things and doubting God Every bit of pressure in our lives becomes a point of contention with us, and we may even begin to feel alone, insecure, and afraid. And we do this because we can't see what God is doing on the other side of that trial, or that enemy that has presented itself. We may even start to believe that God hates us, but that's not what our Bible tells us. Uh, By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles to give you. So if you just raise your hand, let us know that you need a Bible. I have people that will grab them for you. We've got one back here, maybe two back here that need some Bibles, so we'll grab those and give those to you. I I will throw the uh, verses up here on the screen, but if you'd like to follow along, we're going to James 1, 2 through 4. And uh, this is the Amplified version. You will find multiple versions of the Bible. The Amplified takes the verse and just kind of explodes a little bit. That's why you'll see some parentheses and things like that as I read through it. But I like what the Amplified and how it said it a little better. So it says, Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, Whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. This first part of this verse is so counterintuitive to the way we think. It says, consider it joyful. Now, how many of you have ever been in a trial or a situation or a temptation or a lack of funds or you've lost your job or you're fighting with your spouse and you have looked at that situation and said, this is amazing. I am so excited about this trial nobody me either but that's what the word says for us to do maybe not specifically in those circumstances you're probably responsible if you're the dude in the relationship you are responsible just own it okay but it says consider it wholly joyful my brethren when you're enveloped in now i just when i read that i just imagined myself being inside an envelope and the thing being shut there's no way out now i want to believe that if i was put inside an errand sized envelope that is paper i should be able to tear right through it but who knows I don't know. But when you're enveloped and completely surrounded, shut off or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations, be assured, that means stand solid, stand firm, or and understand that the trial and proving of your faith, that means trusting God, trust that he has everything in control, trust that he is for you. It says, be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance (coughs) and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking in nothing. Now, the last half of that verse sounds amazing to me. To be lacking in nothing sounds great, but in and of myself, I know that I don't have that ability. I know that if I submit to whatever's going on and trust that God's in control, that he'll produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life, or that he'll use that situation for his glory in some way, shape, or form. And we have to know also, there's another place in the Bible, in Romans 8, 23, it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's us. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, That's you. That means all things. And I don't know if you've explored what the word all means, but let me break it down for you. All means all. It's everything. Everything in your life, good and or bad, is being used for God's purpose in your life. Period. End of story. You don't get to pick what's true in the Bible and what's not. That's either all true or it's not true at all. Okay? And that verse says that everything in your life is used and God has a purpose for it. And that's amazing to me. In that, you see the grace of God. Your trials and and the things that you're going through are not always fun, but God has a purpose. So I want to challenge the thoughts that condemn you because the presence of an enemy, uh, because of the presence of an enemy, and encourage you to snap out of your pity party because just like Superman, you have the power within you to handle any enemy that comes your way. Superman was given the strength on our our planet by the sun. That's where he, he got his strength from. And we draw our strength from the sun, That's Jesus Christ. I thought that was a fun word play. I would rather saw in words up on the screen. It would have probably been better. A little more impactful. That's okay. We have to remember whose we are and what he says about us in order to tap into his power. And I'd say that's the biggest problem for all of us is that most of us, and the reason we don't defeat the enemies in our lives is because we don't know whose we are. And we don't know what God said about us. And that's either because we've disconnected from our church, or we've disconnected from fellowship with our Christian friends, or we've disconnected from our Bible or from our prayer time. We have no idea what God says. And so when an enemy presents itself and tells you a lie, you don't know the difference. And so that enemy stays. Superman knew what his father believed about him, and it was, believed, it was that belief that propelled him toward his enemy and his victory. The Apostle Paul knew that this was a problem, and one of the churches, the church in Ephesus, he wrote a letter to them. It's called Ephesians. And he knew it was possible for God to be all-powerful and for us to know that God was all-powerful, but for us to live in a, a life of total defeat. And so he says in Ephesians 1, 18 through 21, says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So in other words, so that you can know in your heart. Your, the eyes of your heart can be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. If you don't know what hope is, hope is happy expectation of good. That's hope, right? That's hope. So that you may know the hope or the happy expectation of good to which he has called you. The riches of his, and I love the verbiage here. The riches of his glorious inheritance. I think riches, and I I start thinking of Scrooge McDuck diving in the the vaults with all the coins and things, you know? Like, seriously, you know? And... uh, and, (laughs) the the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And, And get this, his incomparably great power, watch this, for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, that means nobody else rules over him. Far above all authority, there's no higher authority than Jesus. Higher above any power and dominion, And every name that is invoked, and I love this part, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. There is no higher power before, today, or ever will be than what we find in Jesus. And that power is available to us. I think it's amazing. And Paul doesn't pray that God be powerful, because God already is. Nor does he pray that we know how powerful God is. What he does pray is that we would know that power which he exerted in Christ for ourselves, And that this power would become a mighty strength in our lives to overcome any enemy that stands in our way. And just like Superman, who had the potential to be great, God's power within you is only potential until you convert it into strength by faith and action. We have to take what we know and put that into action. And that becomes our strength of faith. Is, is an interesting study. In some sermon, I'll, I will break it down for you what faith is, but Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you are trusting God, that His word is true, that He says, all things work to the good of those who serve Him. That means you can look at a trial, you can look at a temptation, you can look at a circumstance and say, this thing is here, and God is in this, and I'm going to fight. I'm not going to succumb to the temptation to whine or fuss and complain about it. I'm going to praise God because I know that regardless of the outcome of this, even if it were to take my life, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. That's a wonderful thing in and of itself. But at the end of this thing, God's got good for me. That's, that's a great place to be. And it's so contrary to the way that we think. But we've got to learn to think that way. Because that's God has a purpose And our enemies. Once we do that, no enemy can stand in our way. It doesn't mean that the enemy won't try, because he will. But we have a promise in Isaiah. Some of you probably know where I'm going. Isaiah 54, 17. It says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Let me break that down for you. It doesn't mean that the enemy won't present himself or that he won't launch an attack. What it does mean is that when we wrap ourselves in Christ, we become like Superman. and Bullets just start bouncing off of us. The launch or the attack of the enemy, missiles may get shot at you. You've seen the movie, Superman endures a lot of things. He gets hit with bullets, he gets hit with missiles, and everything just bounces right off of him. Nothing even bothers him. And to me, that's encouraging. I get excited. I, got, I was excited this morning. I got up at 5 o'clock this morning and started preaching this to myself. I want to tell you that this message was for me this week. I don't care if it was for you. It was for me. As I was writing this, I have just been like an enemy presented itself this week. And I'll tell you about it later. But, oh, my dear Lord. Oh, Lord. This message was for me. I got excited. I was bouncing around the house. And then, and then of course, I got on the square of shame. Sorry, this is a side note. I got on the square of shame, which is a scale and uh, I've, I've lost 18 pounds, folks. I've lost 18 pounds. Thank you. So I'm very, very excited this morning. But this word has just been encouraging to me because I know and I understand that when I'm surrounded by opposition on all sides, that God is for me. He's for me. And when God is for you, who can be against you? It's an amazing thing to wrap your head around. I just get excited. So we began this series talking about Joseph, Right. And and I'm not going to go through the whole thing and read all of Genesis 37 and 38 to you. I'll just give you the, the cliff notes. Here it is. Joseph, character in the Bible. He was hated and sold into slavery. He was lied about, thrown into prison, and forgotten. I would say that this guy has suffered a little bit. And I don't know how many of you have endured any of those things that I just listed. But if you have, this guy was like on steroids. Because he was lost in prison for years and years and years. And it was a wrongful imprisonment. He didn't even do anything wrong. He was lied about. He was hated for no reason. Why? Because he had a dream. And so Joseph, uh, his story doesn't end there, though, with him being forgotten in jail. In fact, Joseph has the gift of interpreting dreams. And he does that while he's in jail. And later on, he's remembered and brought before Pharaoh, where he interprets his dreams to predict the greatest famine to hit the land in ages. Okay? And suddenly, Joseph is appointed to a position of honor. In fact, there is nobody in Pharaoh, like Egypt. We're talking Egypt. Like this is comparison to one of the major metropolises of today. This is a huge, huge place. All of Egypt. There is nobody higher than this little slave boy who was thrown into prison, lied about, and hated than Joseph. Through all his trials, he steps into a position of being blessed. Not because he whined. Not because he complained. Not because he said, well, if they're going to do this to me, I'm not going to give my best. Or if this happens to me, I'm not going to live for God this way. Or I'm not going to forgive them. No. It was because Joseph continued. He knew what God had said to him. He gave him a dream. He knew whose he was. And so he lived in accordance with that. When he was tempted to sleep with his master's wife, he said, how can I do this great thing, this great sin against God? How can I do that? I love Joseph's story. And he lived in a way that honored God regardless of his circumstances. And here God blessed him and elevated him out of that and put him into a position. Now, as great as that story is, I have to tell you that this whole thing of elevating Joseph has nothing to do with him. Believe it or not, the trial that you're going through or the temptation that you're dealing with, whatever that may be, an old enemy, whether it's yourself or relationship, has nothing to do with you. Because Joseph wasn't elevated just to be a blessing to him. God made a promise, not to Joseph. God made a promise to Abraham. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, let me take you back to the beginning. God selected the people, the Jews. And Abraham was the first one. God said, I'm cut covenant with me and you. And he said, your, your people will be as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. That's who you're going to be. And I'm going to bless you. And Abraham said, I'm old. I can't have kids. He had no kids. He was a, like 100 years old, I want to say. Or late 90s. And he said, I'm old, I can't. God said, I'm going to make you a father of many, many, many people. And so Abraham has a son. His name is Isaac. Let's follow the genealogy here. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has two boys, Jacob and Esau. Esau, the lineage doesn't follow Esau, it follows Jacob. Jacob winds up in a, in a wrestling match with God sometime later, and God changes his name to Israel. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Is that ringing a bell? That's Israel. That's where the Jews live. That's that's over, over in um. Yeah, thanks, East. Mid- Middle East. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's gone in the Middle East, and that's where the Jews grew from. God made a promise that Israel, or through Abraham, down that lineage to Israel, that this is where his people would spread from. And Israel has twelve sons. Actually, he wound up having thirteen, but Joseph was kind of x off the map, and he had a 12 when Joseph disappeared. And so those 12 sons, again, if you know the Old Testament, there's 12 tribes of Israel. Those are his kids. And the promise that God made Abraham to make him a great nation is dying in the middle of the wilderness. It's dying because of this great famine that's happening. They're all there. There's no food. They have nothing. And the only way... They even have food, is because God took Joseph through something and had him interpret a dream that this famine was going to happen. And Egypt stored up all this food, which must have been nearby, and they were able to go get food there. And then Joseph, in his position, saves his family. Your trial isn't for you, your temptation isn't for you. You conquering an enemy, as much as that is going to satisfy you, has nothing to do with you. It's part of the grand and glorious plan that God has for your life. Whatever it is you've been through, not only will God redeem that in your life, but will redeem it in somebody else's. This amazing thing when you step back and look at, at how big God is and what he's doing, it's 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 humbling to even be a part of it. It's humbling. Let me tell you this this simple story about this church. God called me to do this and, and uh, to be Simple Church here in Reynoldsburg. And we launched out from, from our home church and in November we made an announcement that we were going to be in church and so we started looking. Looking for buildings around here. Looking for places. And for months every door closed in our face. Places have been, that had been closed or unoccupied for years. Strip malls. Empty buildings the Hooters restaurant down the road, we went to a lot of different places. And we knocked on a lot of different doors, talked to a lot of different real estate agents. And they said, nope, we don't want a church here. I said, but you're empty, you're losing money. Don't you want our rent money? I mean, we were ready to pay. Thousand to $2,000 a month if we needed to, whatever. Nope, we don't want you. We don't want a church here. And so every door continued to close in our face. And as that happened, I started to doubt whether God had called me. I'm like, well, maybe you didn't mean Reynoldsburg, Lord. Maybe you meant <coughs> Hannah or Patska, like because There seems to be churches cropping up everywhere else. But it was for us here. And I stand here today. You obviously know the end of the story. But I, I met with some pastors and, and uh, that are also here in Reynoldsburg. And I was just discouraged. And I, But I, I thanked God through all that. I said, Lord, I trust you. I had the temptation to, to have a pity party. I had the temptation to to tell my team, "Hey guys, I don't think we're going to make it." But I didn't. I said, "Lord, I trust you. I know you've got a place for us. And I believe that you called me here." And even though every every day the thought was there, I battled it every day. God, I know that you've called me to Ravensburg. I know that you've called me to lead, lead a movement of people who will love God, love people, and serve the world right there. Just don't know where. So I trust you. We got a launch date of May 12th. You remember that? We've got some preview services, and I'd remind you. <laughs> <laughs> other church planners over here that know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, and then I met with some pastors, and I said, it's, you know, it's been really hard for us to find a place, and they told us about Cottoners. Well, let me tell you something that's funny. We had met Cottoners, we met April, who, who works here, on the day that they announced us in November, and she came up and gave me her business card, of all the people I met that day, she came up, gave me her business card, and, uh, and said, if you need anything, give me a call. I called April. She brought us in here, we love the place. I said, this is fantastic. So what's my lease look like? Oh, no lease, no contract? Nope, no contract. We can just go month to month. Yep, you just let us know if you don't want to be here anymore. Cool, how much do I pay you a month in rent? Because like I said, we were ready to pay $1,000 to $3,000 a month. And she said, oh, we just want to be a blessing to you. I said, great, what does that look like, 25% off, 50% (laughs) off? You know, the, the the negotiator in me wanted to go 75% off. You know, what what does that look like? You know, because this is a beautiful facility. And she said, we want to be a blessing to you. I said, yeah, I get that. I understand that. Maybe I'll pay every other month. What does that mean exactly? And she said, no charge for us. And as a brand new church, we needed that. We have been able to save so much money and focus on other things and do other outreaches because God took us through something. He took us through a trial. He took us through an opportunity where we could have said, you know what, this is not us. The cool logos, the cool t-shirts, the websites, we build everything. Hey, this this is not right. We're, we're not finding a building. We could have just doubted, and we didn't. We praised God through it and thanked him for the trial because it drew us closer to him. And that day, I remember coming back and just celebrating. It was an amazing day for me. And uh, even though some of you may be like, but bro, you're in a funeral home. Yeah, we're in a funeral home. It's amazing to me. <laughs> that God would open a door here and that where death is honored, life will spring up. And when you think about that, that's awesome. So I wanna I wanna just encourage you, we have to be ready because the moment you start living like you're a child of God, wielding scriptures, spending time in prayer or giving to a church or getting outside of your comfort zone for God, if you didn't have an enemy before, you will in no time flat, I guarantee it. When Superman discovered who he was, and what he could do, and what he would do, it didn't take long for an overwhelming enemy to appear. Because like I said before, the enemy doesn't fear where you are now, he fears your potential to be great. And he'll stop at nothing to remove that. For some of us, we may not be able to identify the enemies in our lives, but let me take a moment to point out a few weapons the enemy uses. And I promise I will preach through these another time. These These are worth exploring the weapons that the enemy uses but I'm just going to bullet point them for you. Isolation, potentially the most lethal because it leaves you to deal with the enemy by yourself. Taking a cue from Michael Jackson, I want to tell you that you are not alone. I'll let that sink in. The enemy wants you to feel like you're the only one with a problem, the only one going through a trial, the only one going through a tribulation. He wants you to be embarrassed of what you're dealing with. You can't talk to anybody about it because they will judge you. They will not be your friend. They will not love you, but that's not true. I say hogwash. All of us have issues. I have issues, and some of them are probably the same as yours or worse. Don't let your enemy get you alone. Weapon number two, the immature kid in you. We're called to grow up so that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That's Ephesians 4.13. Those hurts from the past may creep up in the present, and we can't ignore them, but we need to acknowledge them. If as a child we believe that we were unloved, as an adult, we probably believe that we're unlovable. We've got to root out such lies with the truth of the word. Our out-of-control feelings its weapon number three. Never let emotion have dominion over a decision-making process. Instead, let your decision-making process have dominion over your emotions. When we make the decisions based on emotions, they tend to be rash or the wrong ones. But the Word of God in 2 Corinthians 10 5 tells us to make every thought or take every thought captive according to the obedience of Christ. That means every emotional thought or idea that we have, we have to make it obedient to that. Weapon number four the enemy uses are false ideas about yourself. And false ideas about who you are in Christ are like landmines you plant in your life that you step on at the most inopportune times. And just because you're in a position of greatness doesn't mean you feel great. It's a sense of unworthiness to be at God's table. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a level playing field, folks. That means you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, all of us are the same. And when we look at each other, there's no difference in any of us at all. Jesus is the only one that's different. But it's in him that we are made holy, sanctified, and have access to God. We've got to battle false ideas with the word. Weapon number five are hidden fears. Fear probably stops more people from accomplishing anything for God, more than any other factor. The reason for this is because fear is crippling. It makes you stand still. You don't know what to do. You stop. Fear has the power to drain us emotionally, weakening our resolve. And because fear is something we usually hide, we're not able to draw strength or resources from anybody else. But Jesus told us, don't be afraid. Paul wrote to to us and said, don't be anxious, or worry about anything. We don't have to fear because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Weapon six, resurrection of an old thing. And this is what I fought this week. An old enemy came knocking at my door this week that I was not ready for. I didn't suspect him. I didn't know he was coming. And when he showed up, I said, who are you? And how do I fight you? I acted like I had no idea. But let me tell you, an enemy you've defeated in the past will be defeated again by the power of God and his grace, mercy, in your life. You can do it. It doesn't matter if he shows up or not. And don't be surprised because God's not surprised. Don't be surprised if it's an old relationship, if it's a habit, or memories of your failures. Don't be surprised. Deal with it. When God has given you a vision for your life that includes an uncommon future, you go for it. Don't you let an enemy keep you down that you've beaten before. Weapon number seven is ignorance. The first step to defeating and conquering a problem is moving from ignorance to knowledge. We've got to get into our word. We've got to get into the Bible and know what it says about us. Pride is weapon number eight. I've only got two more. The desire for importance can be the enemy of significance. There's only one weapon to defeat pride and that's humility. The word says God resists the proud. And I don't know about you, but when God is resisting something, when he says no, it's no. And I don't want that kind of resistance. So pride is one of the the biggest weapons. Number nine, familiarity. The enemy will use familiarity in your relationships against you. The key root word, or the root word of familiarity is family. It's the people that are closest to you. They become familiar with who you are, your flaws, your failures, and they use them against you on a regular basis. And that can tear you down and wear you out in, in horrible ways because they've lost they, they've lost that sense of mercy for you they've lost the honor they had for you and uh, when familiarity sets in all that just begins to seep away well we got to live in lives in grace and mercy for one another even when people aren't living in, in that for us the last weapon is bad thinking. Most of our battles in life will be, de- be determined by how you think or by your mindset. Let me just tell you something, if your mind goes there, your body will follow. That's just the way it goes. If you are tempted, or if, some, if if you've just got a thought that you don't immediately stop and go, no, 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 that's contrary to what God said about me, or no, 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 that's contrary to where I know I need to be, that thing will set inside you like a seed, and it'll start to produce fruit in your life. And when, Once that, that thing is planted, It'll produce fruit. It will lead you to sin. It will lead you to pulling away from everything you hold dear in your relationship with God. I want to encourage you with one last thing today as we close. When you're pursuing your purpose, it would be in your enemy's best interest not to fight you, but it would be in God's best interest to have him fight. God uses these enemies because he has purpose. He is to be praised and glorified in our confrontation of an enemy because he's at work. And that work is to our benefit. Even when we can't see it, the enemy's present in our lives only serve to further you in God's will and purpose for your life. But that doesn't mean you get defeated by the enemy just because he's there, it means you use him as a stepping stone. That's what that means. And so even if you can't understand the why, the what, the where, the who, sometimes of your enemy, give God thanks. Not necessarily for the pain of the trial, but for the outcome of it. It's like childbirth. I've never done it, but I hear it's painful. But that pain, what's on the opposite end of that pain, is joy, because now you have a child. And you have that joy for the rest of your life, well, until that child becomes your pain, in a different area of your body. <laughs> but remember the diamonds are formed under the most intense pressure far below the Earth's surface. The most valuable metals, precious metals, become that way under the hottest fires. And God is using your trial, your enemy, it's needed thing to make you perfect, to make you better. And all the while, we just give him honor, forgive him glory in our hearts, and with our mouths. He'll bless us through that. And he'll use it just like he did Joseph to benefit, maybe even save a generation, save a nation. I want to challenge you today. Will you let God do that in your life? Will you let him use what you're going through for his purpose? Will you praise him through it? Will you be thankful and consider it joy? I hope today that you will. Let's pray. Everybody bow your hands.